I want to talk about um, disciple making and being disciples and looking at some characteristic traits of disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, we think about disciples of Jesus were those who walked with him in, in that day. And that's true, but we're his disciples today. And it ought to be the goal of every believer in Jesus Christ, everyone who's come to know Christ as Savior, every one of us who's been born again. I, our goal should be that we grow up and to maturity spiritually-wise so that we become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And it should be the mission of this church and of every church to make disciples because that is uh, the Great Commission and the commandment that Jesus gives to us in Matthew 28, 19 when he says, Go and make disciples uh, of all nations, of all people represented by all the nations. So what are we talking about when we talk about some of these characteristic traits uh, that mark us as disciples of Christ. Well, we could almost uh, identify them as being genetic markers, uh, discipleship DNA. That's what we're calling this series of messages in the month of October, discipleship DNA. Uh, and I'll be honest to say that um, I, I wasn't a, a science student. I didn't, I didn't gravitate towards the science student studies. I got through them. I, you know, I, I had to learn that stuff. But I was more into the history and sociology and all those kinds of things. But uh, I know that the study of genetics is fascinating and that uh, it's, it's evidence of the creative genius of God when you just begin to understand all that God has done. And it's a great revelation to us of the fact that the Scripture says and our life, our body also exhibits the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're taught that we have millions of cells in our body, and every cell contains 23 pairs of chromosomes. And each chromosome there is, and I'll see if I can say this right, uh, deoxyribonucleic uh, acid, or DNA, and that's called a gene. I think we got, uh, we got a picture of it up here. It kind of looks like this, a, um, uh, a, a twisted ladder and over here on the side, and that's also on the front of your... Um, front of your um, bulletin as well. Now, not to get too deeply involved in all that because I wouldn't be able to do that. Basically, it simply says that we inherit genetic traits from our parents. And there are two, at least two billboards that I've noticed here on Two Notch Road, especially with messages to women. I think we got pictures of that. Uh, it talks about hand-me-down genes. And it says, know your family health issue. And that particularly relates to women uh, and, uh, and uh, ovarian cancer. So um, when we're talking about this, about these genes and traits, about being a follower of Christ or the disciple of Christ, how, how do we define that? What, what, what are we really talking about? Well, see, a, a follower of Jesus Christ is different than just a fan of Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the books I've read in the last four or five years that I think really stuck with me, a book by Kyle Eidemann, a pastor in Louisville, entitled Not a Fan. I think a few years ago uh, we did a study on that, and I did a sermon series about that. Not a fan. And you wear a little, a little bracelet that says, uh, you know, not a fan, and people would say, who are you not a fan of? And some of our people here had the, the experience of saying, well, I'm not a fan of Jesus. And they would, people would kind of look at them like, what do you mean you're not a fan of Jesus? Well, I don't want to be just a fan of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. So what, what's the difference? Well, a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. Uh, if you watched any of the football games yesterday or attended any of those football games, 
you were probably a fan there. You were an enthusiastic admirer of your team. But hopefully this holds true, and that is that while you can be a fan and fanatic about a, a special team, whether it's baseball getting ready for playoffs and leading to the World Series or college football or NFL football, you know, those teams and, and, and the game itself are not the ultimate priority of your life. Now, it's true of some people who admire Jesus Christ and sometimes even get excited about Jesus Christ, that they are fans of Jesus Christ, but he is not the ultimate priority in their life. But for a disciple, Jesus is the ultimate priority of our life. And when that is true, then there are certain, I think, genetic traits that are obvious in us as followers of Jesus Christ. And the one we're going to look at today is not necessarily in order as we look at the passage of Scripture out of Hebrews chapter 10. But it simply says to us and reminds us that a disciple gathers with other believers. And I want you to, to look at the Scripture today in Hebrews 10, uh, beginning in verse 19. Look at a little, little backdrop. We're well into the book of Hebrews when we get here to chapter 10. Uh, and, and the book of Hebrews is a fascinating, very interesting uh, book to study. Some people say it gives them more trouble to read and understand it than the book of Revelation. I don't find that to be true. I find this to be a fascinating uh, book. Uh, the interesting thing about it is that we don't know who wrote it, and we don't know the specific audience who were the recipients of this letter. But we do know that they were uh, Hebraic believers in Jesus Christ. They were Hebrews both by birth and by faith. And what do we mean by that? Well, by birth, it meant that they were born into that Jewish uh, legalistic system. They, they celebrated all the feast days. They knew about the law. They worshiped at the temple and the tabernacle. And, and they knew all of those things. And they, they took it all down from Moses and studied the law and all of that in the background. But to be a Hebrew by faith then was that they were uh, those who had seeing Jesus Christ through the Scriptures being the fulfillment of the Messiah who would come, and they had committed their life to him. The problem was that that was a great challenge for them. Uh, this was fairly early in, in the life of Christianity and following after Jesus in the way. And so to break from that background of, of all that they had known and done, and to break from their family beliefs, it wasn't an easy thing to do. Family would criticize them. They would be told to come back into their regular faith and that. And so they began to drift away. They began to, to assemble less frequently with other believers in times of worship. And so this is what the writer of Hebrews says to them. And I think there's some good words that apply to us as well. Beginning in verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, 
Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now you've probably heard that passage of scripture as a believer and a church attender for a long time. It urges you to to, uh, not forsake the assembling of yourself together with other believers. Uh, Or you've probably read it many, many, many times. Bottom line is when we read that passage of scripture and we're going to look at five things it says to us is that a, a disciple of Jesus Christ faithfully gathers with other believers. Now, why do we do that? Well, let's look at the reasons for that. Number one, disciples gather in obedience to God's Word. When you read that passage of Scripture, you might catch the fact that there are five phrases that say, let us, talking about doing these things together. And the first one we're going to look at is not in the order in which they're given, but it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Uh, we all know what habits are. They're behavior patterns that we get into, and we do them so often we really don't even think about doing them. An interesting thing is if you uh, want to do a Google search or whatever you want to call it, go to your search engine, uh, type in bad habits and see what comes up. You might be led to a site that talks about the 10 Um, most uh, terrible or bad habit that you can have. And they list these things, smoking, overspending, gambling, overeating. That's really getting personal there, isn't it? Drinking too much, taking drugs, complaining, being chronically late, eating junk food. And then there's a new one for our generation today. And that is being super connected or overconnected with texting, tweeting, and Facebooking. Okay? Now, The writer of Hebrews points out that some believers had developed a bad habit of not gathering together on the Lord's day, the appointed day, as the church to worship together. You didn't have to go very far into the life of the church, nor Christianity, to find that people had already developed a habit of skipping out on church. But it's still an issue today. It's an issue for us. We've got a screen up here. I want you to take a look at it. As we look at that, this is an attendance chart. The top part there is, um, is the membership has grown. But look at the bottom chart there. From 2006 until about 2010, we grew on a regular basis in worship and Sunday school attendance. Now, we've been on a little bit of a decline, a little bit more, every year. And that ought to be a concern to you as you see that. It's a concern to me. It's a concern to us as a staff and leaders in the life of the church. So it comes to you today as a reminder of the fact that as a believer in Jesus Christ, that that we should be faithful to gather together with other believers. Now, why, why should we do that? What is the significance of that? What's so important about gathering with other believers? Well, it's not that we just come to church or go to church, but it's the fact that we are the church. The church then becomes more than just a place. It's what exists when believers gather together. Now, Jesus Christ and the church aren't identical, but they are inseparable. And God's Word calls for us to gather together and not to forsake meeting together. When I moved to, uh, to Louisville in 1974 uh, to go to seminary, 
I just learned that Kentucky just had such a, a folklore reputation. And a guy had written articles in the Louisville uh, Courier Journal, the, the newspaper, um, a guy by the name of Joe Creason. And, and a lot of his articles he had published in several books. And uh, it was just uh, some of the humorous things. I mean, you still had, in most of the little uh, county seat towns, the courthouse still sat in, on the square in the middle of the town. You have to go around it. The county where we live still practiced, and this was in 76 through 79, uh, that every, all, all the businesses shut down on Wednesday afternoon. And it started so people could go to church. But what it ended up being, people went to the golf course and other places and all like that. You didn't find them in church. But one of the stories I like so much that Joe Creason told was about two Casey County, Kentucky coon hunters who were out on a Wednesday night. And they heard the church bell ringing, calling people to come to church on Wednesday night for prayer meeting. And one of the hunters looked at the other one and he said, well, guy, I guess it looks like we're going to miss church tonight. And his buddy said, well, I couldn't have gone anyway with my wife being as sick as she is. One pastor down in Texas has described the attendance pattern in America this way. The Americans are so seldom in attendance today that they're brought to church either for infant baptism, if you're in that denominational frame, or dedicated as a baby. You come to church to get married, and then you come to church for your funeral. And so he said, we show up for church to get hatched, matched, and dispatched. Let's think of it another way. Disciples gather in obedience to God's Word. You could just stop right there. But I got a few more minutes and four more points, okay? Second thing this tells us about disciples is disciples gather to worship God and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verses 19 through 23, it tells us why we should be motivated all the time to come and worship God the Creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because it talks to us about the fact that we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's his sacrifice. And the writer talks about a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, through the body of Jesus. And we had this great high priest over the house of God. And so then we should draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. There's some reasons that we should come and gather together as disciples. That we come to worship the God, the Creator, and the Lord Jesus, our Savior. We're reminded that God gave up His Son Jesus to die for us. And He shed His blood for us so that our sins could be forgiven. And we could have a personal relationship with God. When you read the crucifixion account of Jesus, we know that that when he died, the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, that God did that, and it opened a way that said there was no more division or barriers between us and God. It opened a way for us. And the writer of Hebrews says this represents the body of Christ and what he did on the cross. And then you'll notice that if we have experienced that, there are four results in verse 22 that the writer says we should gather and worship God for and be thankful for. We have a sincere heart that is undivided and totally dedicated to God. We live in the full assurance of faith. That is, we can believe in God, know He's real, and in Christ as our Savior. 
Then we have our hearts cleansed from a guilty conscience. So that means that we live without any guilt. We don't have to be worried about our past. It's been dealt with. And then also our bodies washed with pure water. And that, uh, that, of course, refers to baptism and identification with Jesus Christ. See, those are great reasons as to why we should come and worship. We worship the God, the Creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think one of the first verses of Scripture that I ever learned was the one that said, I was glad when they said unto me, what? Let us go into the house of the Lord. So you know it too, don't you? Hmm. And there were some days in my teenage years that waking up time on Sunday morning, I'd pull the cover back up because I wasn't glad to go. And we all go through some spells like that. But boy, we ought to have the attitude of the psalmist when we think about what God has done for us. That we ought to come willingly, joyfully, because of what God has done. Worshiping God the Creator and Jesus Christ the Savior. Number three. Disciples gather to motivate one another for ministry. Verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know, when you think about spurs and, and westerns and cowboys and horses, uh, you know, spurs are worn to uh, kind of encourage the horse to get moving a little bit, right? Kind of spur them on. The writer of Hebrews mentions two areas that we need to spur one another on. Love and good deeds. See, love refers to the area of attitude. And good deeds refer to the area of action. So why do we need to make sure that we spur one another on to love? Well, because sometimes, in all honesty, love is missing in how people treat each other, even in church, in the body of Christ. There's criticism, there are complaints, there are caustic remarks that are made. Sometimes people who step up and lead are, are ridiculed and persecuted for the way that they want to do that, and those kinds of actions drive people away. That's not what the church is to be about. See, if it's not pleasant experience to go to church, then why go? So we should spur one another on to love. And then the good deeds. Why the good deeds? It's because most people just kind of take church as what it's going to do for me. Well, what's this church got to offer me? And a lot of people come into a church and they're there as long as it meets their needs. And then they begin thinking, yeah, you know what? There's a whole lot of churches out there. I might want to try this one for a while. And I want to try that one for a while. And I'll stay. As long as the music is good and the preaching is good and as long as my needs are met. And that's not what it's about. We come to church so that we can worship God and so that we can also give of ourselves. It's about what are you going to give? And I'm not talking about money, those are part of it, but what are you going to give? See, a lot of people got this cruise ship mentality. If you ever been on a cruise, you know there's a, there's a lot of people lounging around and taking advantage of all the amenities of the cruise ship and, and a smaller staff that's totally overworked meeting the needs of people on that cruise ship. And I think a lot of people have that concept about church, like a cruise ship. But the writer of Hebrews says a disciple gathers with others to spur one another to a more positive way of loving and living. The number four. 
Disciples gather to encourage one another. Verse 25, let us encourage one another. How important is it to be an encourager? Let me ask you another question. Turn it around the other way. How important is it for you to be encouraged? Well, Friday morning I got encouraged. I picked up my, my cell phone, sat down at the desk uh, to do my uh, morning devotion. And uh, part of the reason I have my cell phone is I got part of my daily Bible reading plan on my cell phone. That was a message from one of the deacons about 639 that morning. That simply said, I just want you to know I'm lifting you and your family up in prayer this morning in my quiet time. And went on with a few other comments. Well, I said, you know what? I can go a long time on that. I can go a long time on that. That'll take me a long way. Mark Twain said, I can live off a, a, a week off of one good compliment. William James, the father of modern psychology, said, The deepest principle in human nature is the craving to be appreciated. And then there's an old Japanese proverb that says, one kind word can warm three winter months. So why is it so important that, that as disciples and the body of Christ, we encourage one another? This is not the world where we live, is it? This is where we come and worship and study and learn. We live out there in the real world. And every day, every week, we get beat up in different ways, don't we? We get beat up at work. We get beat up at school. You get beat up in, in a, and sometimes at home. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about emotionally and mentally and all of that. We get battered and bruised and all, all. You need to come and hear something good and encouraging and positive. Share your concerns. Have people who will pray with you. And that's why it's so important that we encourage one another. Ray Pritchett is a, is a, a writer that I read a good bit. He's got uh, star, several years ago. Found a couple of his books on leadership and then, uh, then his website. Um, I want to share this with you. There's 10, 10 questions that he has for us about your EQ. Uh, and that's not uh, IQ, but it's your encouragement quotient. All right, we got these questions coming up. All right, here's a way to evaluate your encouragement quotient. How good of an encourager are you? Do my words of encouragement easily outweigh my words of criticism? Am I generally uplifting to be around? Think about that one. The worlds of praise, the words should be of praise come easily to me. Would those who know me best consider me an encouraging person? Do I pass along only the good news and swallow the gossip? Do I think more about opportunities to give praise or more about my need to receive praise? Do I tend to focus on the positive qualities of people? Is it easy for me to be critical of those who frustrate me? And then the last two. When I pray, do I pray for those who frustrate me? And number 10, have I been diligent to encourage those closest to me, my children, my husband, my wife, my students, my co-workers, my closest friends? Well, those are 10 pretty good questions to ask about your encouragement quotient. So how do you measure up? So we need to gather together to encourage one another. And then the fifth reason is this, that disciples gather to anticipate 
the Lord's return. We find that in verse 25. Let us, 23 and 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the word day there is capitalized. It's something important. It's talking about the day of the Lord's return. Now, I don't know when that is, and you don't know when that is. Nobody, who knows? God the Father, not even the angels. And Jesus is the one who said that. But I do believe this. I believe we're one week closer to the return of the Lord than we were a week ago. And one day he's going to return. And we as disciples need to be prepared for that. We need to be doing all that we can to anticipate the Lord's return as we gather together and encouraging one another about that. And saying, you know, the Lord's going to return. We don't know when, so we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared for that. We need to be spiritually prepared for that. That's why you want to be fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ on the day that he comes. And that means that as, as time goes by, we get closer and closer to that day, and we need to be faithful to join together in encouraging one another about that day that's coming. I like the story told, and I think this was in one of Joe Creason's books in Kentucky about an elderly man lived in a small town and was stone deaf, couldn't hear anything. But every Sunday morning, he would walk to church. He couldn't hear the music, couldn't hear the preaching. He sat there and read his Bible, and he talked to people. And somebody finally asked him, said, why, why do you bother to come? You know, you could stay home and read your Bible and pray. And I guess they had to write it for him or something, but anyway, he got the question. And his answer was simply this. He said, I go to show whose side I'm on. You know, that's a good thing to do. Think about that for a moment. If people in your neighborhood, your neighbors across the street or beside you or whatever, know that you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you're supposed to have membership at Spring Valley Baptist and they find out on Sunday morning, they look and say, hey, they didn't hardly even leave the driveway this morning. They ain't going to church. wonder what they think about that. And there's always areas of influence that we need to be thinking about. So there we are. We introduced this discipleship DNA. And what we say is that, first of all, a disciple gathers together with other believers. We do so to worship, to obey God's word, to spur one another on, to encourage one another, and to show whose side we're on as we approach the day of the Lord and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, every week we're going to look at a different trait, a different gene of a disciple in this discipleship DNA. But I hope it will be a great time of self-reflection and you look at where you are in your relationship with Christ and any decisions or commitments that you need to make. Well, we thank you for your word that challenges us as well as encourages us to come as followers of you and to, to be a part of the fellowship known as the church. We thank you that Jesus Christ gave his life for the church and established the church and that we have the opportunity to be a part of this church and of your church around the world. Help us, Father, as disciples to be fully committed to you and that by doing so, we would faithfully gather with others for many, many reasons, but to show your glory. And we pray that we would have that faith Jesus Christ our Lord.